Hello everyone, welcome to Then, Now, Whatever, the wrestling podcast, episode 14. I am your host, the doctor among men, Duncan Joyce, and I'm joined as ever by my constant companion, the hardest working Triple H mark in show business, Mr. Kyle Cambray. Hi, welcome everybody. Good to have you back, Kyle. Yes, it's good to see you. It's been a long, long summer. Yeah, we took the summer off, we both graduated. That was quite fun, to don the cap and gown again. Yeah, and I'm now a teacher. Yeah, ace. Other than that, what have you been up to? I went to Corfu for two weeks, just to relax, and then I went for a tour around Europe on a cruise ship, which was cool. Good stuff. So we went to Venice Bar in Montenegro, it was called. So what I really wanted to do is wanted to go to a bar in Bar. (laughs) (laughs) And I found a bar. (laughs) If only you had a bar t-shirt as well. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Where else did I end up? Santorini, Mykonos, and a few other different places that I can't think of. And then back to the teacher grind in September. Yeah, how about you? Good stuff. I've been well, yeah. My sort of trips out were a lot simpler, just Sheffield. Yeah, I started some temporary work with the university, just designing some materials for schools for them. Brilliant. That's been fun. And I've been able to get through my whole entire New Japan backlog as well. Oh, brilliant. So you're now up to date. Well, I've not seen King of Pro Wrestling yet, so I'm one show behind yeah. now, but yeah. Considering where you were, one show behind you. <laughs> God, yeah. I, when the G1 finished, I was still like two shows behind the G1. Ugh. Wow. But yeah, it was amazing. And Naito and Kenny Omega in the final we just a startling match. Like, yeah. I think I preferred it to all of the Kenny and Okada ones, actually. Really? Mm, yeah, wow. it, it was that good. The other wrestling thing I've been enjoying this summer was the May Young Classic. Yes. I don't know where WWE pull these people out from, but they're just fantastic wrestlers to watch. Like with the Cruiserweight, there was a few that I didn't know, and they kind of pulled them out of nowhere. Same with the May Young Classic, there was a few that I had heard the name and I'd seen a few clips about them. Then others were just complete nobodies, if you will, but were brilliant. I enjoyed the whole thing, it was fantastic. It was nice to see the women putting their bodies on the line, knowing that they've got a chance at NXT or a chance at the main roster. Like the WWE style is very kind of watered down in places. And so you tend to get more sort of psychological matches. Whereas here, like people fly in from everywhere and there's great mixes of styles, especially like um, the people who work for Joshi promotions yeah. really regularly. There were so many great women that you know a lot of the people we talked to on Twitter really loved and I was getting the chance to see for the first time properly yeah. and it was really good. The opening rounds and main events delivered in every show, then things sort of escalated even more and more. So like Tony Storm versus Viper Piper and that was a tremendous match. Yeah, I think it's more the more hardcore style. Not hardcore as in let's get the weapons out, but more hardcore as in rather than, like you say, the watered down WWE style. And that's where you get the matches like like that. Yeah. Just leave them to it. Just let them do what they want to do. If they want to go out there and they want to put the bodies on the line, let them do that. Being fans, we're not going to complain about that. No, absolutely not. It's good to have really good wrestling and just to find these people that are on the circuit and yeah. give them some promotion, really. 
Because, I mean, like not everybody from the Cruiserweight Classic stayed on in WWE. They still maintained a lot of name value from that and got to wrestle in some really exciting places. And yeah. It's pretty much a similar thing. There were more sort of developmental prospects in there as well. Like, some people were wrestling their first match in that tournament. And it was more about, okay, well, this is the potential we can see in this person. I suppose if you've got the wrestling style, you're already halfway there because if WWE picked you up, then their main focus is to train you on the mic and train you on the TV aspect of it. Mm-hmm. So the, the wrestling side you can do when you get to the ring. It's then the training of everything else. So you're already halfway there, aren't you? Yeah. I also got to see another progress show. Fantastic. It's very, very good stuff, yeah. We're actually going to be able to go to a progress show together in November. Yes, the team is together for one show. Aye. Yeah, us two and Summy. Going on the 12th of November at the Manchester Rich show. Looking forward to it. Yeah, come and say hello. We will be around talking and being general geeky wrestling fans. Absolutely. It's, it's always <laughs> great to be at a progress show and seeing some people say hi. Yeah, I suppose you get to see other people's views as well and you get to just talk about wrestling in general. Yeah, especially if I'm Gareth who I first met on... Uh, Fight Club Pro Show, actually. Speaking of, I have something for you here. I want you to open it and tell the audience what it is you have in your hands. Okay. Ah! Ah! Oh my god, this is... Okay, so, this is the British Strong Style King of Kings, oh my god. <laughs> the Triple H Mark t-shirt. That's amazing. <laughs> uh, yay! <laughs> so you got something to wear to your first progress show now. Yes. That's incredible. I love it. Go Team British Strong Style! Yeah. Woo. King of Trios Champions for 2017. Yeah, yeah. I bought it off him. I said, no, you got this in large, mate. And Trent went, for you? Going <laughs> took one look at me like, it's a present. <laughs> I'm not planning on... <laughs> no, it's for my fair friend. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I love it. Yes. Yes! <laughs> <laughs> oh, Hopefully oh. we see a bit more of the British lads. Yes, fingers crossed. Some of them are going to be on the WWE European Tour in November. Yep. Whilst they're knocking around. That's good. So, speaking of WWE, we decided we're going to get stuck into the first WWE shows of the autumn. No Mercy from the Raw side and Helena Cell from the SmackDown side to see where things are at. Ready? Okay. Any questions? <laughs> no Mercy took place on September 24th, 2017 from the Staples Center in Los Angeles, California. 16,106 fans in attendance. On the pre-show, Elias defeated Apollo Crews with the drift away slash free-handled moss-covered family credenza. <laughs> You know, the swing net breaker yeah. in 8 minutes 35. 
Drifter matches for me just reach a certain level and don't go up anymore. No, no, there's a glass ceiling there that's unbreakable. <laughs> you could be one of the best wrestlers, but if you're on one of their matches, nah. The opening video for this pay-per-view I loved because it had the scary lady who used to do loads of the Attitude Era yeah, yeah, yeah. video packages. There's some interesting comments from Heyman in this that kind of hinted at him turning on Brock, maybe? Yeah, I can kind of see where you can get that from. Mm. Mm. There's no opening pyro to this show, despite them hammering over our heads the fact that there was a WrestleMania feel tonight. I'm sure that some of those lines, they, they get fed... It's just automatically they say them without thinking. Because surely, if Cole got fed that line, him himself being an experienced announcer would think, I don't think it is, but okay. (laughs) What they really mean when they say it's a WrestleMania feel tonight is, oh, we're putting loads of big-time matches on tonight because we're shit-scared because the NFL started again. Yeah, the new Raw tactic. What's this? Basically, because the new NFL season's starting... The first two hours of Raw is where it's going to be action-packed and all your top stars. And then the last hour, when the NFL starts, is when you've got your cruiserweights and your skits and your segments and all that sort of thing. Oh, yeah, because they have been headlining the the past few shows, actually. Yeah, Yeah, it's supposed to be a tactic to get them to watch the main stuff. And then if they did switch over, they're not missing much. There's a lot to discuss as far as the cruiserweights go, but we'll yeah. get into that. The opening contest was for the Intercontinental Championship. The Miz, the champion with his Miztourage, is defending against Jason Jordan. And they recap Jordan becoming number one contender and then being laid out by the Miztourage. Yeah, Jordan seems to be facing quite a big backlash. Yeah, I feel sorry for Jason Jordan because I really do like Jason Jordan and I just think that they've handed him such a shit storyline. <laughs> oh my god. He's so good. He really stepped it up the weeks prior when he faced Cena and then Reigns. Yeah, yeah. Week to week. Yeah, he is in beast mode early on in this match with his suplexes. He hauled the Miz up from a sunset flip position and got him up in the suplex. That was brilliant. An it kick got blocked into a cradle Tazplex. Yeah. That's swish looking. Got a Saito suplex and that awesome double Northern Lights suplex thing that he does. That was nice. It's always great. And Booker T claims it's the first time he's ever seen that combination. Oh my god, what the hell? Booker T, you. Oh god. (laughs) You were right there when you saw him do it to Roman and do it to (laughs) Cena, you muppet. Cole talked as well about how. Jordan, when he was in amateurs, he competed in the 285-pound category, despite him only being 225 pounds, which is kind of similar to what Kurt would do as well. So Kurt, yeah. Kurt was like 195, and he'd enter in like the, the 235 category or something like that. So, you know, genetics, Kyle. I mean, I forgot that they are related. I know, but they are, Shit. yeah. They are biological <laughs> yeah. father and son, or as a regular person would call it, father and son. Yeah. <laughs> You might as well just flash up a, a big sign in the background. This is a storyline. <laughs> oh my god. Dear me. My other question is why doesn't Jordan use the ankle lock? He used a crossface in this match. Oh yeah. That's a really good point. You would think that being his biological son, <laughs> that there would be more emphasis on angle maneuvers. So the finish of this match sees Miz kick out of a cradle, which sends Jordan 
straight into a right hand from Curtis Axel behind the ref's back and Miz hits a school crushing finale to get the free count after 10 minutes and 15 seconds in what was a good opener really I enjoyed that match the match was really good like I said I'm really impressed with Jason Jordan the Miz has won me over I used to hate the Miz but I just think that he's such a good villain I didn't like the ending it takes away from the fact that the Miz could actually probably have wrapped that up on his own even though Jason Jordan is such a good wrestler Miz doesn't need his Miz I think that they rely on the Miz too much. It's similar when Edge had Kurt Hawkins and... Woo woo woo! Yeah. Um, <laughs> Zach, Zach Ryder. Zach Ryder, yeah. <laughs> Edge could probably finish a match on his own, but they had them to interfering and doing all that sort of stuff. Is that not just part of being a good heel, though? The fact that they probably could finish the match anyway, but you know he has well... this big entourage to help him. Yeah, Just but because. I, I don't know. Like, for me, I, I'd rather see the Miz be absolutely shit and fail at trying to help, and the Miz wrap it up, and then the Miz like, yes, we helped. Do, do you know what I mean? <laughs> okay. It's like that sort of. I think I would enjoy that more. Yeah, that'd be quite funny. You know, hmm. Curtis Axel's. He goes to hit Jason Jordan. Jason Jordan misses, hits Axel, turns around, Miz then gets him. Do you know what I mean? Right, okay. That sort of finish would have probably worked better, in my opinion, anyway. Okay. But, like you said, the match was brilliant. It was a good match. Yeah. One thing that was useless, though, was the post-match interview with Jason Jordan. (sighs) What was that supposed to achieve? I don't understand these post-match interviews in general, but why have a post-match interview with Jason Jordan, who has just faced someone from the hometown because no matter what Jason Jordan says face or heel he's just going to get a boo yeah Hollywood's always going to back Hollywood isn't it I just don't get it and all of Jason Jordan's words that he said were you average face biological angle son responses you know I still don't respect Miz Miz cheated his way through the match. You know, all of these are stuff that a face would say, but he got booze and chants and... I don't, I don't get it. It was a poor promo. Yeah. The next match, which they have a little video package for, Man versus Man. So a regular wrestling <laughs> yeah. match then. Bray Wyatt versus Finn Balor. What is it with them using both extraordinary and extraordinary in the same breath? Stick with one. Yeah. Why is it he's an extraordinary man who does extraordinary things? Why not use the same one? Why not he's just fucking cool? <laughs> i tell you what was cool. I like Finn's new jacket. Anything that Finn does. I don't know whether it's because he's endorsed by Triple H, but yeah, he's brilliant. I do wish we would see the demon more. It feels very backwards. But they brought him out for SummerSlam because, you know, obviously SummerSlam's the big event. Yeah. But then the few continues after that. Mm. Surely the demon, the whole demon persona, is to like finish off the rivalry, to be the culmination of it. Instead yeah. of like, oh, okay, well, you only beat me because you were the demon. Wrestle me man to man instead. Mm. Before the bell, Bray assaults Finn and the refs try and take Finn to the back because they suspect he's got a rib injury. But then Bray goes him back into the ring with a promo. There's a sign in the crowd that says... Here on our honeymoon. Oh, I'd like to do that. A wrestling event on honeymoon. Yeah, that'd be well good. Mm. 
Finn whipped out the Fit Finley trap him in the ring apron spot. Yeah. It's quite good. But there are a couple of whiff spots like Sling Blade barely looked like it hit and Big Boot by Wyatt was the same. Some things with Finn, I think that I'm just biased on the overlook it, but I think because his style is very much tap, 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 tap. Some moves don't actually touch. So like I've noticed a few drop kicks that he does because it's just a standard jump drop kick. Sometimes if the other wrestler's not got there just quite in time, it's like just a little tap. Whereas your bigger stars, if that drop kick hit, that drop kick hit. That's not a detriment to him. That's just something that I noticed watching. In the end, a pair of shotgun drop kicks and the coup de grace get the win for Finn in 11 minutes, 35 seconds. And I actually thought it was quite good in general. It was probably the best match they've had together. And it was at its best when Finn was all fired up on offence, really. Yeah. I think both of them are really good, especially in the characters that they've got. I mean, Bray from being in NXT. What was he called? Husky Harris. Husky Harris, yeah. Mm. So you've got Husky Harris. If someone came up to you and said, this guy is going to be a WWE champion and he's going to have everybody putting the phones up with fireflies, I'd tell them they were nuts. So to go from that to this character now that even as a heel, the fans love him and the fans really get involved with him and it is very Undertaker-esque mm. that the fans are really behind him. And then the same with Finn. You know, The, the fans are really behind Finn and the, the fans love Finn. We'll just see see where, where it goes from here. I mean, can we talk a little bit about what's happened after yeah, so, I mean, for some reason, this feud must still continue. <laughs> I don't get it. He's 2-0 down. If this is the best of three, this next one's pointless. Basically, Bray has started cutting some promos in a veil. It's like, hello, yeah. my name is Sister Abigail. I'm quite disappointed in that because I think that it's a cheap cop-out. Because I would like to think that Bray had the powers himself. We should have a physical Sister Abigail. Yeah. Not a Bray Wyatt's demon to Finn's demon. Because if you're thinking, in past promos, the way that Bray and the way that Luke and Eric have spoken about Sister Abigail, you've always thought it's this physical sister. And now it's not. It's like this spirit that yeah. embodies him or something. I don't know, I'm, I'm not a fan of that. But I'm, I'm a fan of his character, but I just think that this is a bit of a low point. We'll see. We'll, we'll see have to happens. wait for the full execution of this, but yeah. our hopes aren't high, I don't think. Yeah. On that similar note to what you're saying about you couldn't believe Husky Harris would be at this stage, if I were to tell you that CJ Parker, remember him? <laughs> yes. the, the eco-warrior from NXT? Yeah. If I were to tell you that he's probably one of the top five most over guys in New Japan Pro Wrestling right now, would you have believed me? No, I would not. It's incredible. That's been another highlight of my catch-up over New Japan. Juice Robinson as he goes by now. It's probably one of the best pure baby faces in wrestling at the minute. Wow. It just shows if you can get your character right and the promotion will let you run with that, then full speed ahead. Mm. We then get a promo for Asuka, who's going to debut at TLC. And we now know who she's going to debut against. I don't think it spoils anything, but there was some sort of fatal four-way or something, and Emma won it, so Emma's going to challenge Asuka at TLC. 
which I'm really excited about because their match at TakeOver London was stellar. Yes, it was. But probably one of my favourite NXT women's matches that didn't have the title on the line, I think. If I'm totally honest, I couldn't see anyone else going against her other than someone who's already faced her. Yeah. Just because of the dynamics of her coming up to the main roster. But, in storyline, if you were putting a match for the winner to face Asuka, I'd walk the other way. <laughs> I've got to be honest. <laughs> Fuck that. Asuka is like unbeaten. Dropped the belt because of injury. Nah, I'm not doing that. I'm not facing her. Everyone's like, yeah! We all know who's going to win. Let's face Well, of course we do, yeah. But I, I guess the idea is Emma, she feels such a drive to get these opportunities. Like, she always hashtag give Emma a chance or whatever. Yeah. And, you know, she, she wants to show Asuka up on her debut or something. To be fair to Emma, you know, she had the whole give Emma a chance thing. And they scrapped her, didn't they, really? Because they had this Emma coming next week, Emma coming next week. Oh, God. She came out once and then that character got scrapped. So, you know, I do feel a little sorry for her. I wonder what really happened with that there. The reports were that they decided her heart wasn't in the gimmick. I'm like, well, (laughs) surely you'd have been able to tell that, like, a few weeks into suggesting it for her as opposed to, you know, after 11 weeks of promos, like. Yeah. So... But, yeah, I mean, it'll be a good match because they're both really good performers. Just me thinking on a character side, I'd be like, yeah, I won the match, but no, I've got to ask it now. Mm-hmm. We then get a promo from The Bar. And they promise that their match, which is coming up next, will get ugly, which is very prophetic in the yeah. end. So, the next match, third of the evening, the Tag Team Championship match from the Raw side. The Bar taking on... Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, the champions. Cole, as the champions are coming out, calls Dean the unpredictable part of the duo. So what, Seth's just totally predictable, is he? Again, just doesn't make any sense. I noticed as well, during Seamus and Cesaro's entrance, they go to the other commentators. So can you imagine, you're excited, you're going to come out on live telly, I know that they've done it for weeks and weeks and years and years and years, but it's a pay-per-view and you, you want to come out on telly and you want to be at the camera and you want to do your whole crucifix pose and then Cesaro comes out. Instead, no, fuck it. Let's go and have a look at the Japanese commentators see what they want to say. Well, they totally fluffed it as well. Yeah. They, they, went, they did the link too early. Like, no, 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 it's not time yet. It's not time yet. Like, okay, so you're on international announce teams. I just think it's ridiculous. This is a good point to remind people that the Hindi announced team are a lovely bunch of lads. They are, yes, yes. <laughs> the burn it down thing in Seth's entrance music has got really over now. Yeah. I really do like Seth, his wrestling and his music. I just think he's the all round package. And this is going to sound ridiculous, but I think he's the Dolph of Raw, if that makes sense. Like, music and style like he's just over completely not 2017 Dolph because at the moment I, I well yeah I don't even want to get down that road oh dear we'll have to at some stage yeah. I'm afraid <laughs> so early on Cesaro swung Dean Ambrose into the ring steps my god ouch uh, yeah ouch but triple ouch came with the most gruesome part triple of this match ouch <laughs> 
Do you think that's how? Tri- <laughs> do you think that's how Triple H is going to Halloween up his Twitter handle? Like you know, people do. Oh, I love it, Triple H. I was trying to think of like a Halloween esque version of our name to change our Twitter to. Oh. It's like Ven Ghoul, whatever. Like it doesn't really scan that well for anything I could think of. No. Well, have a think, and then on Halloween you'll you'll know what it is. Yeah. <laughs> So, Dean Ambrose catapults Cesaro, and Cesaro hits the ring post, mouth first, and his front two teeth protrude three or four centimetres into his gum line. Do, do you know the best thing about... Well, it's, it's not even the best thing, because that's, that's harsh, because it looked like it hurt. But as soon as it happened, he, like, opened his mouth, and the camera was right on him, and he was like... Yeah. It was just perfect. Perfect timing. Like, oh my god, where's his teeth what? gone? Yeah. <laughs> it's especially good to get that shot before the blood really got yeah. in there as well. Yeah. I'm so sorry for him. Anybody who watches this and go, oh, it's fake, they don't really hurt each other. Look at what Cesaro's just done! Oh, you're allowed to fall <laughs> off a 20 foot ladder! <laughs> this match is just so good. There's a good hot tag from Rollins. Two men knock heads in the match, and Graves calls it a double noggy knocker! Oh, the referee, John Cohn, in this match is fucking excellent. He takes no shit from anyone. No. He's like the new Earl Hebner. <laughs> what a fight, what a fight! Yeah. <laughs> Seth gets worked over a bit and then Dean gets a hot tag and then things really pick up a gear here. Seth saves Dean from a double razor's edge only to get bro kicked. And then Dean eats the double razor's edge anyway and he kicked out. We then see Seth save Dean again. This time from a double team white noise leap thing. And he tries to Frankenstein Antonio, but he keeps his grip, hauls him back up and power bombs him onto Dean after Seamus hit the white noise. And Dean still kicked out. Mother of God. He knows no pain. (laughs) Dean collapses before Seamus could hit the bro kick, but it just lures him into a cradle for two, which was a really good false finish. Then, in the end, the bro kick accidentally hits Cesaro, hopefully not on the teeth. And the ripcord knee, followed by the dirty Ds, get the win for the champions, who retain in 15 minutes and 55 seconds. This was an absolute barn burner of a match. Incredible stuff. Just the spots, the double teams, the escapes, the counters. All of the false finishes were terrific. Just brilliant stuff. Oh, I was trying to work back. Was it Dean and Seth that were the original tag members of S.H.I.E.L.D. anyway so they've just carried that on haven't they it was Roman and Seth was it Roman and Seth yeah yeah. but I do like how they started off with those two because we've already established that Seth and Roman are kind of cool with each other yeah but Dean held this grudge and didn't quite buy into Seth's new way of thinking yeah so yeah, I've just really liked how their storylines was going up to that point and yeah, they've delivered some great matches as well. Yeah, and I never thought that Sheamus and Cesaro would work as a tag team. And they're really getting some good heat. I thought they were excellent as opponents. Mm. There was obviously a chemistry there. Whether they'd be able to like, mix it up as a team, maybe it wasn't quite so certain that that would happen. But yeah, they've categorically been coming through. Their whole matches with the Hardys over the summer were really good as well. Well, I've got a question for you while we're still on with the tag teams. Yeah. Going forward, who can you see on Raw that's half decent? Because we know Jeff's gone for a while, so Matt's going to have to go singles. But then, 
who have you got tag team wise that's on fire at the moment if not with the club they've kind of become a kid's gimmick at the moment well they're not really up to much I think they're basically waiting on the revival to be healthy again yeah they, they've had such bad luck with the injuries and I think those two getting in there with Seth and Dean would be stellar yeah what I don't want them to do and I know some people will go well Seth and Dean are singles competitors but I don't want them to just smash two singles competitors together and go right you're our new tag team go yeah it doesn't work. A tag team is some a team that have been together for a few years and they then come out and get the belts and whatnot. They were a sucker for that in the Attitude Era. You would just have two singles competitors that would be like, yeah, you have the belts. Kane and X-Pac. What? Yeah, that's a bit... <laughs> Do you know what I mean? They need to be actual tag teams. And that's what was good with NXT. Every NXT tag team was a tag team. Oh, there was a sign in the crowd, I'm a hung books guy. I think it's some really obscure reference to a Spoonerism Rocky Romero made on commentary for New Japan. I swear to God, at some point, there was a Young Bucks match, it was like, oh, the Hung Bucks in control here. Wow. <laughs> That's quite incredible that someone's brought a sign thinking that people would understand. Because I bet there's not a lot of people in a WWE audience that watch New Japan. It would vary from audience to audience. Yeah. Like, I did see a free Too Sweet sign. Oh. On Raw the other week. Yeah. So next we get a video package for my choice of a match to look into in more depth. The women's title, Fatal Five Way. Alexa talks about having her mandatory rematch. And there ain't no party like a Liz Lemon party because a Liz Lemon party is mandatory. Yeah, this match started off as a one-on-one Sasha versus Alexa rematch. Then Emma and Nia won a tag team match to get into the match, make it a fatal four way. And then Bailey just randomly returned and oh, it's a fatal five way now. She never got that women's championship match she was due before her collarbone injury. Yeah. Yeah. So it's Alexa Bliss defending against Sasha Banks, Emma, Nia Jax, and Bailey. They did the introductions at the start, and I thought Nia got a bigger pop for being a hometown yeah. hero yeah. than Bailey. Yeah. Naturally, there's a schmoz to start this match. Everyone brawls. Nia gets kicked out of the ring eventually, and they tease a three-way knuckle spot, but that just leads to Bailey and Sasha double-teaming Emma out. Then Nia returns, and woman handles everyone. She's excellent in this match. She beals Emma off her back and hits a great spine buster. Then this wicked tornado DDT attempt from Bliss got blocked, and Nia holds her up for a power slam. And then she Samoan drops Alexa and Sasha at the same time. That's a hell of a strength. Yeah. She blocks Bailey's shoulder thrust, but then winds up in a guillotine sleeper a la NXT TakeOver London. Yeah. Nice callback. Then everyone dumps Nia out of the ring. Emma gets a butterfly suplex to Sasha. And Alexa tries to steal the pin, but got caught with a sweet drive-by kick for a near fall. Everything then builds to an absolutely brutal double powerbomb, double dropkick spot to the outside on Nia. Mm. And that bump was just nasty. It's one of them that, like we've said in previous episodes, you can't practice that bump. It's just one of them where, this is about to happen, it's going to hurt, here we go. (laughs) It's just one of them. Emma suplexes both Bailey and Sasha into the corner and does the double Emma sandwich. I can't believe she still uses that move. 
if it's going to work, it's going to work. <laughs> There's an e-lift and a wheelbarrow bulldog by Sasha for a near fall. She counters Alexa's DDT into the bank statement, but Bailey breaks it up and gets the Bailey to Bailey, and it only gets two. Nia then absolutely smothers Sasha with a cracking leg drop and like pins her immediately. Yeah, it's like, yeah, come on, <laughs> yeah, that's great. She winds up hitting the ring post. Bliss knocks Bailey into Emma and then DDTs Bailey to get the free count to retain her championship in nine minutes and forty seconds. Yeah, I wasn't a fan of Bailey in the fall in that match. No. Let's bring her back just so she could be a loser again, you know? It's one of them, though. Like, within that match, who eats the fall? Because they're all on a bit of a roll, aren't they? At the time, when it first became a four-way, everyone speculated, oh, it's just so Emma can eat the pin. Mm. But then, obviously, the plans have been for her to face off with Asuka, and you don't want her to look like a loser before no. she has to face Asuka. Mm. Besides that, it was a really good match. It was absolutely cracking. Really, really pacey. The transition from spell to spell well. Everyone got a great mix of offense in. And Naya in particular just looked like the star of the show. Like mm. All of her spots were super cool. This is my second favorite match of the night. And... I no longer get bored watching women's matches. Like mm. Over the past two, three years, they've just gone from strength to strength to strength. And yeah, this is no different. Like you say, they were all fantastic and... Naya is just showing exactly what she can do. She could be a champion. Several years back, if you had like multi women matches, it was just it just used to be a case of oh wait for everybody to hit their finishes yeah. one after the other, and there's nothing of substance in between. Whereas now, like they've kind of broken this cycle where they don't train people properly, so then they don't put the faith in them to give them an interesting match layout. Yeah. And then they're not getting the interesting match layout, so they're not getting trained properly, and it uh, goes just on. A vicious circle. Yeah, exactly. We got another just nothing post match promo from Alexa afterwards. It's like, what do you expect her to say? Yeah. Again, a few episodes ago, when we, when we did the Raw SmackDown split, and I said that SmackDown had started doing these post match interviews, it kind of worked because it was a weekly thing, and kind of you get to hear about how the wrestlers are and stuff, but you don't do it on a pay per view. If you're going to do something like that, it's a backstage segment. It's not in the ring. They had a clip of Eddie Guerrero versus Batista from No Mercy in 2005. Did you hear Cole after that? No, what was he saying? Idiot. When they were doing the clips, you would think, right, you know, they're going to celebrate Eddie as well for this Hispanic month. And it was a match that he lost. So then it comes back to Cole and Cole goes... That was one of my favourite Eddie Guerrero matches. Oh, and you're like, he lost? What? No, Coles. I just found it sad because like, that was the pay-per-view before Eddie passed away yeah. and Eddie lost to like a secondary finisher and it was blatantly like building towards him properly snapping on Dave and of course yeah. it never came. No, it is sad. Towards the end, he was this character that everyone just loved. But yeah, I just thought it was a bit shit from Cole. I don't have a, a favourite Triple H match that he lost. Do you know what I mean? I don't... <laughs> it's because he refuses to lose. <laughs> oh yeah, he's never lost. <laughs> <laughs> it's, I'm like North Korea. If Triple H loses, it's just it's a Triple H match that he's won, and I'm just like, yeah, he won the he won the belt. Did you hear about that about the World Cup? So North Korea were in 
the World Cup. Okay? Yeah. In North Korea, every time North Korea played, they obviously lost. But in North Korea, they would play training matches and friendly matches, so they'd won. So North Korea thought they'd won the World Cup. <laughs> what the fuck? So that's what I'm saying. That it's, it'd be like me with Triple H. If Triple H had lost, they'd, they'd just scream Triple H winning. And I'm like, I still win it! Oh my God. Nuts, I'm telling you, nuts. Oh fuck me, look what's next. We get the video package from Roman versus Cena. And they play up the parallels between the two. These are so cringy. The war of the words. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, he called Roman just a cheap corporate John Cena bootleg. If John Cena is not corporate, who the fuck is corporate I, in this company? I, I Honestly, they said that these confrontations were... Like, they both agreed beforehand that they're just going to go at each other, say what they want to say, and then they'd shake on it when they get back. Some of the comments that they were making to each other just didn't make sense. Mm-hmm. Cena was talking about, I can do part-time so much better than you can ever do full-time. What? That doesn't make any sense. I don't get it. And then, like, Roman's point is that Cena's never there and he goes on his bus and whatnot. And he said, you know, you said the same thing to Rock and stuff. Which he did. So, both of you just shut the fuck up and wrestle. Both of your points are shit. I don't think anybody came off well in that mudslinging match for me. I've seen some support for this storyline online, but just... just... Roman's social media profile sometimes comes across a little bit as a entitled, cocky newcomer. So how do they decide to get support for John Cena? Or we'll make him an entitled bit of veteran, you know? Yeah. It just... And his whole... The No Mercy match is going to be like your drug test. You can't pass me. Mm. No, Cena. You are better than that. I get that it's, it's like you say, a mudslinging match. But you've stooped to that level. So now when Roman hits back, you can't be ashamed of him stooping to that level because you started it. Mm. I can also do without... Cena talk about oh you didn't beat the Undertaker at WrestleMania you just beat an old man with a bad hip yeah. what the fuck yeah why'd you have to go bury the Undertaker in in this so, mess? Sh- so surely like Taker's got to have said so he can't have just let that slide and gone oh good one Cena mm. <laughs> yeah the whole war of the words just it was really cringy mm. I didn't like either side yeah there was just something amiss. Just let them have the match, you know. It's yeah, <laughs> it's a match I was intrigued to see before they said a word. Like, oh, this makes sense, you know. Yeah. One other thing as well. Cena was running his mouth and he was talking loads of crap. So Roman said, right, well, come on, let's fight right now. What does Cena do? He goes back and he leans on the ropes and then he walks over to him and he does the drugs comment and walks out. Roman has literally offered him a fight Cena's always been this guy who says, I never back down, I'm always ready to fight, whenever. You just got given the opportunity and you walked away. Mm. See, this is just like when, back at Fastlane last year, when it was Roman and Dean and Brock, and Roman just wouldn't have anything to do with Brock at all. And it's just like, get stuck in then, lad, come on. Yeah. If you've got a character, you stick by that character. 
So basically, we now know that John Cena's character is never give up and always ready for a fight, blah, blah, blah. John Cena isn't, because John Cena walks away. I feel like we're at that bit in that Hulk Hogan Gorka trial <laughs> where, <laughs> where Hogan says, yeah, Hulk Hogan has a 10 inch penis, but Terry Bullier doesn't. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. I get what you're yeah, saying, yeah. It just, ugh, bizarre. So this is Kyle's choice to look at in more depth. The WrestleMania feel match. John Cena versus Roman Reigns. And Cole informs us that if Cena wins tonight, he'll have 94 pay-per-view victories and will tie himself with The Undertaker for the all-time record. Yeah, see, that stat shocked me. I thought that Taker had much more than that. Well, but if you think about it, though, when Taker got started, they were at a place where it was only like three or four pay-per-views a year. So that's probably where Cena would catch up. Gaining. Yeah. yeah. And Cena's recovery time from his injuries as well probably play into it. Like, yeah, you... breaks his neck SummerSlam 2008. Oh, I'm back for Survivor Series. Yeah, you're out for a year. Two weeks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what? Although it kind of sounded like Cena got booed, it's clear that they favour him over Roman. Yeah. I hate Cena's entrances. Don't get me wrong. I do like Cena. I'm a fan of Cena, but... I hate his entrances. What was he doing going over to Booker T? Whispering something. They all have a little chuckle together and then he comes back over and carries on. The fuck? Just do your entrance and go to the ring. What are you doing? Mm. That's one thing that I like about Roman. Literally, as soon as his music hits, he just looks at the crowd, sees the reaction, he's like, yeah, I'm going to the ring. <laughs> and just, he's a badass. I wonder what William Regal would have made of the opening collar and elbow tie up in this match. (laughs) In case you're not aware, there was a leaked email from Gabe Sapolsky from Evolve and he was on about talking to Regal at PWG and nobody does really tight collar and elbow tie-ups anymore. Cena Fane's leaving the match early on after some non-existent crowd heat. Like, you want me to go? No, they don't. They quite like you tonight. That's again what I'm talking about with the promos and stuff. John Cena, yeah. never give up. John Cena, where are you going? <laughs> where are you going? I really don't understand the, the logic and the storyline. And even if, let's say I was John Cena and Vince said to me, we've got an idea, you're going to listen to the crowd and then you're going to turn away and you're going to walk off. Why? And my response to that would be, why? Vince McMahon, pal, got this great idea in the Sony, yeah. We're going to call you the ringmaster and put you in, in emerald tights. <laughs> oh, but yeah, I, don't, I didn't understand that. No. So Roman fetches him back and Cena's all spaghetti-legged from Roman's punches. He fell over. <laughs> yeah. He runs his back foot out and you just see it slide from under him. Oh. <laughs> Noticeable sign in the crowd that I like? Roman Reigns fears Lance Catamaran. <laughs> Love it. Did you see the sign as well when Cena came out and he pointed to it and he was like, that's a good sign, that's a good sign. And the camera moved to it and just as the camera got to it, the guy put the sign down. So nobody knows what it said. But Cena's like pointing at it, like, that's a good sign, good sign. There was another good one. It was um, Shockmaster greater than Roman Reigns. Nice, nice. (laughs) Oh, CM Punk chants can fuck right off. Roman says, I hit hard. Quoting a corny phrase from one of his t-shirts, 
after earlier on in the day on Twitter promising that he doesn't rely on corny phrases. It finally picks up when the Superman punch gets ducked and Cena goes for the five moves of doom. But Roman counters a five knuckle shuffle with the Samoan drop for two. A big boot gets turned into the proto bomb and Cena goes for the five knuckle. Cena hits the five knuckle shuffle. Fuck's sake. <laughs> oh dear. Cena immediately hits the five knuckle shuffle. Roman escapes the attitude adjustment, but then the Superman punch gets countered into the STF, which gets countered into the single leg powerbomb for two. Roman's then caught out of mid-air into the attitude adjustment for a near fall. Like it. That's a really good spot. Although I have to say, so far, this is kind of feeling like AJ versus Cena light. Yeah. Really similar layout here. Cena's top rope leg drop is powerbombed out of mid-air for two, and I always cringe when I see him do that spot. It's like, mate, you broke your neck doing that. Do you yeah. really want to keep doing that like three times a year? Superman punch gets a two, but Roman Spear eats the ring post. And then the avalanche attitude adjustment, as Mara would put it, only gets a two count. Fuck me. He looked genuinely shocked when he kicked out. Yeah. They then schmores around the table and the attitude adjustment through the table is countered into a spear through the table, which basically saw Roman DDT himself. Yeah, like that hurt. It was literally like 45 degree angle that Roman hit the floor. Ow. Yeah. In general, even with some of his regular spears, you'd look at his head position and you think... You might want to take care of yourself a bit better there, mate, you know. If you go back and watch an edge spear, edge spears, he lifts his head up under the, the arm and follows it down and then lifts back up. So he kind of, the hit is the stomach hit and then he lets them them go, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Where with Roman spears, he spears them but keeps hold of them. He kind of takes himself with the opponent, which is, seems... Ridiculous. Mm. Yeah, Roman goes for the spear again in the ring, but gets hit with the attitude adjustment, and Cena jackknifes him up for a second attitude adjustment, a la his match with AJ, and Roman Reigns still kicks out. Then, oh, Superman punch, spear, Roman gets the win in 22 minutes and 5 seconds. Let's talk about this match. Yeah. The reason that I've chosen it as my match of no mercy is because... Number one, it was the match that I was most looking forward to. Secondly, I didn't think it disappointed from my point of view because that's kind of the match that I was expecting. Cena close call, Roman close call. And it was all around a really, really good match. There were a few spots that were a bit dodgy. Like with the spear through the table, it was kind of reckless from Roman. But I didn't like the finish. When Roman hits the Superman punch and Cena goes all groggy... Like, Roman doesn't know what to do. He looks at him for a while, he's groggy, and then he's like, oh shit, spear. And you just think, surely you knew what was coming next? Mm. But overall, I really enjoyed the match. Yeah, I think for me, I did enjoy this. I thought they laid on the torch passing thing a bit too thick. Yeah, That, That took away from it a little bit for me. Oh, Roman kicks out of everything under the sun that Cena can bring, yet one spear finishes him off. Mm. What reaction do you go for, though, when you've won? Because I noticed that a lot of heat went on Roman when he stood up and he smiled when he put his arm up. Like, 
I'm a smarmy bastard, told you I could do it, sort mm. of thing. Whereas I think, character-wise, if there was no emotion and he was more tired and he got his hand up, like, he, you know, it's hard for. Because then when Cena comes over and puts Roman's hand up, that would be more effective than already having Roman with his smarmy smile then Cena coming over. Yeah, I'll go for that, yeah. I just think that it affected Cena's here's your winner mm. by him having his smiley smile when the ref did it. Anyway, still a good match. Just yeah. Not quite up to my expectations of it. Is this the end of Cena? Well, he's off filming the Bumblebee film. Yeah. I fully expect him to be back for WrestleMania season, personally. I don't know in what capacity... I don't know, just the way that he exited. He like proper milked the crowd. Mm-hmm. And then when he was leaving, he, he ran his hand across the staging oh, right. as he was leaving. And it was like, oh, that's, that's weird. Like you wouldn't do that unless you were going for quite a while. We'll see. Mm-hmm. We then get a WWE 2K18 commercial. Beat her, beat scene, like Dolph, like Dean. No guts, no glory, one shot, one story. Beat you, like now, no time, one run. Be like no one. I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it, I love it. I love it's it. a really good package overall. It's I, so good. This is the most tempted I've been to buy a wrestling game in ages, actually. Mm. I was really disappointed in the last one the way the buttons worked and the dynamics of it, it wasn't great. I thought it let the, the game down. Like the physics and the, the graphics and the story and all that sort of stuff was top notch. But the actual gameplay mm. wasn't a fan of. So hopefully this is a little different. Miss was backstage with Kurt Angle bragging about beating his son and then he asked for an interview with Roman Reigns tomorrow. On Miss TV, the show where nothing can possibly go wrong. Possibly go wrong, but... <laughs> Next match is for the Cruiserweight Championship. The king of the Cruiserweights, Neville, defending against Enzo Amore. Starting to really, really dislike Enzo. A friend, Ryan, was saying, oh, it seems to be amazing, that there's been so little change to his character, but people have sort of naturally seemed to turn against him because... Maybe they realise in real life he's a bit of a skis or something. And yeah. I'm guessing we and our audience have heard of Roman chucking him off the bus. Yeah. I really would love to have been a fly in the wall to see that. <sighs> just Roman just manhandling him. Enzo, goodbye. Yeah. So this is an interesting position for Enzo to be in, really. It's, it's kind of sink or swim for him. If he can't get good matches with... These people, what use is he? Yeah, which seems a bit harsh considering the talent like Neville and stuff. There is some really good talent that I would put on the main roster, not the Cruiserweights. But considering the airtime and stuff, they're perfectly on the Cruiserweights. Is there anything you'd like to recommend from 205 Live recently? If I'm going to be totally honest, not recently because I've tuned off 205 while Enzo's there. Something about Enzo and this whole macho, I'm Mr. Big, I'm Mr. This, I'm Mr. That. I just, no. Oh, that's a shame. Like, typically I always find at least one match that I want to watch every week. Yeah. 
there's been a couple of weeks where there's been nothing of note. Over summer, I'd like to recommend basically anything that involves Cedric Alexander and Grand Metalik. Yeah. Has been tremendous, like their little buddy cop tag team. Tony Nice as well and Drew Gulak have been very good. Yeah. Those group of lads together have been really good. Like any sort of match between those, any combination of them. They were in the five way that Enzo became number one contender in. And that yeah. match was really, really good as well. Yeah. I think this is also my frustration as to why I'm put off until Enzo disappears. Mm. Is for me a cruiserweight's a high flying now I know not a lot of them high fly as much. But you still get Drew and all, all them that, that still do a little bit. Whereas Enzo does nothing. And I don't even think Enzo's a strong wrestler, if I'm honest. So I just think Enzo's there because he's a mouthpiece. He lets himself down the wrestling side. And I think that's where some of the heat comes from, is that he practices his speeches and his, all that sort of stuff, but has little time in the ring. Naturally, you talk about him being a mouthpiece. He does his shtick at the start and he comes out dressed like Beetlejuice. It's ridiculous, that. He's all got ridiculous outfits. He claims that Nev is the ugliest cruiserweight. Now, I'm sorry, mate, but Lince Dorado and Grand Metalik wear masks. How on earth can you verify that? Yeah. Incidentally, Neville is much better looking than Enzo. Agreed. I thought he was totally embarrassing in the early goings. He's like crawling towards the ropes, trying to desperately escape a really basic arm ringer. Like, oh, oh, wrestling, oh, how do I get out? My point again. He tried to flip de doo out of it, but he got his leg kicked out from his leg. He flipped de doo but didn't flippity-doo. <laughs> yeah, maybe he should flippity-doo because he landed really awkwardly on his yeah. neck. I've written here, this is boring and paint by numbers. And the fans seem to agree with me. As they chant, this is boring. And Neville seems to agree with me because he says, No one cares, Enzo! No one does care. No one cares. Tries to make a comeback with a DDG. And then we get the finish. So Neville twats Enzo over by the timekeeper's table. Enzo grabs the cruiserweight title and brings it in the ring. The referee admonishes him for it and retrieves it, sends it back to the timekeeper area. And while that's all going on, Enzo low blows Neville and gets the roll up for the free count in a bullshit ending to a bullshit match. Totally agreed. That's the worst match on the card. Categorically the worst cruiserweight match we've had on pay-per-view. Neville. It's the worst cruiserweight match I've ever seen. And I've not seen the last three weeks of 205. It was awful. It was, I was embarrassed to keep saying on this episode for people to watch 205. Because I thought, if Enzo's the champion... I don't want to send people to go watch 205. They'll tweet back to us and say, what the hell are you sending me to watch? Who's this guy? It's just awful. Mm. This is definitely the most ordinary Neville has looked in a match yeah. as well. And Enzo did nothing of note other than the DGG and nearly breaking his own neck. I mean, can we go forward onto the next few roles? Enzo's now our stupid cruiserweight champion. And... When I said before about him being a mouthpiece, he just goes at it against every single cruiserweight wrestler. Rule number one, don't call the faces of the cruiserweights and don't call the heels of the cruiserweights because then 
they will all combine and come back and bite you in the ass. What does Enzo go and do? Oh, let's line you all up. All come out, all come out. Right, one by one. Oh, Cedric Alexander. Oh, Grand Matalik. Oh, who else can I take the piss out of? I'm just thinking, what is happening here? I don't know who can okay this because it's awful. It's awful. And then the week after, the, all the wrestlers then surround the ring and Enzo's in the middle and he's got his piece of paper. Or oh, if you touch me, you're not going to get a shot at the, the cruiserweight. And he, he calls at them again, mm. one by one, each person. I was thinking, what is happening here? And then to save the day, Kurt Angle, without his biological son, he brings Callisto back. Yeah, so good. the double turn is in full effect. Enzo is a big old villain now. Callisto is officially a 205 Live roster member, finally. And he actually beat Enzo he did. in a lumberjack match on Raw the other week. Yeah. And he's the new Cruiserweight champion. Yeah. Do we think this pissed Neville off? The speculation seems to be that he was pissed off way before then. There's lots of people going back and forth on whether he walked out on Raw, whether he even bothered to turn up. Because reportedly the plan was for Neville to be the one to beat Enzo on that show, which would make no sense given the storyline. No Cruiserweight can compete for Enzo's title. Yeah, so he, he's just gone missing. But if I was in that match from No Mercy against Enzo and I lost, I'd go missing. I'd feel really shit about the booking. Because as far as I'm concerned, Enzo's not a cruiserweight. And I don't even think Enzo's main roster material. No. I'd have hoped this would have been something where we could move Neville on to the main roster. Because mm. he's been excellent. He's been incredible. Yeah. King of the Cruiserweights, what an incredible storyline. He came from, I say nothing, but I mean from his injury. And yeah. he just, he completely obliterated the Cruiserweights. And it was incredible to watch every single week. I'd tune in and watch and just be like, what the hell? But yeah, I think that the 205 just hit a bit of a rut at the moment. We'll have to see how it goes. I presume there's going to be some kind of Callisto Enzo TLC rematch. Yeah. See, I, I would watch that again because of Callisto, but I can't see what Enzo's going to bring to that match. Mm. It's main event time. Get the video package for Braun versus Brock, drawing the parallels between the two of them, highlighting how Braun's been able to manhandle Brock and survive the Suplex City spots. The Universal Championship is on the line. Brock Lesnar defending against Braun Strowman. When they were doing the ring introductions, they were so intense getting in each other's faces. I was really amped for this match, yeah. I have to say. Braun, they've done a fantastic job with. And their interactions at SummerSlam were great. And yeah, yeah. at high hopes. My only concern is, will Braun have the big man effect? In the, no matter what the outcome, how do you keep booking Braun? Because if he is this manhandler and he is this guy that completely destroys everyone he faces, what's the point in booking him in a match? I think they've booked him too high. Yeah, so like, how do you this, make him fallible? Yeah, they had this problem with the great Cali. He was this un- unstoppable Indian monster. Well, if he's an unstoppable Indian monster and you putting everyone against him and he just destroys them all, well, who's, who's beating him? Who? What are we doing? 
And then when someone does beat him, well, I thought he was unbeatable. Mm. And then if the person that's rose to the challenge of beating Braun Strowman, and then he gets beat, where are we drawing the line? I don't know. I just think that the booking, him and Lesnar, to be fair, yeah. I just think they book them way, way, way too high. At least the matches that they're in give them a bit of a, oh, they, they may have lost there. Oh, they, you know. I get Vince loves his big men, but there's only so far. Look at Big Show. There's only so far you can take them, and then you've got to pull them away and let the other wrestlers do what they do. Yeah. Big Show was excellent in the cage match with Braun leading yeah. up to this. Yeah, yeah. Well, away. Well, yeah, so, I mean, to your point, early on, Braun is all about the power. He mm. gut-wrenched out of a takedown attempt. Pops right up from a German suplex and choke slams and power slams Brock. Brock has this Kimura on in desperation. Braun was blatantly within the reach of the ropes. Come on, mate, you can get the rope. Yeah. Come on, mate, you can get the rope. <laughs> you know. He comes back with an ace-looking spine buster, but then eats five German suplexes. You could hear Brock at the final one. He's like, help me out, big man. Help me out. F5 is counted with a power slam, but Braun's arm is too injured for him to make the cover. He gets the power slam again, but a sloppy cover sees Lesnar kick out. Then, F5 out of nowhere. Brock wins, lol. After nine minutes. So, this was solid, but I was really disappointed by this match. Like I say, Braun's this guy who's been unstoppable and and whatnot, and then one F5, and see you later. Precisely, you look at the amount of stuff he survived when he was fighting Roman, like the ambulance match and stuff, and... Look at how many F5s Roman and Seth survived. Oh, yes, exactly, yeah. Like, so what are we saying? That he he's just caramel underneath his hard crust, do you know what I mean? <laughs> I go, again, just talking about levels. Braun's either a monster or he's not. I'm a bit confused. Brock, fair enough... Because once he drops the belt, he'll disappear for a while. And Brock will only pop out when Brock pops out. Whereas Braun, he's, he's main roster full-time. So what do you do with him? They seem a little bit lost in that regard. Brock's not on this next pay-per-view. Oh, we'll, we'll shove Braun in this tag main event. Mm. Yeah, well, if you give Braun the title, you can defend the title at TLC... And then you can also have yeah. the big tag match. Yeah, just seems seems odd. I just felt it was a bit too slow, and Brock has this special attraction billing, and it just felt a bit too ordinary compared to that. I'm not a fan of champions holding the belt for so long. Let there be competition. Get back to the Attitude area where it was nearly every week where we had a new champion. I wouldn't go quite that far, but that, well, that's half... You know, there was always this mix of like four or five guys that could have the belt. Yeah, exactly. Let's have a, a varied scene where a couple more people actually get the, the piece of the pie. Like, yeah. yeah. Thoughts on the show in general? It was okay. I've seen worse. For me, Neville and Enzo was an awful match. That's nothing to do with Neville because we all know that how good Neville is. Mm. It's just, it wasn't right at all. But yeah, it was a, a watchable pay-per-view. There wasn't one point where I just thought, oh, am I really watching a pay-per-view here? It did have a pay-per-view factor to it, so I'd probably give it maybe three out of five. 
Okay. I'm a bit more high on this than you, I think. Up until the final two matches, this felt like it was really going to rival Great Balls of Fire for yeah. the best Raw brand pay-per-view this year. The Cruiserweight match and the Universal title, it just lost a bit of steam there. Yeah. And Brock and Braun was really disappointingly average, and Enzo and Neville was just crushingly disappointing. If you'd have ended No Mercy on Cena and Roman, I think it would have been much better. Yeah, everything on the undercard below those two was worthwhile, I thought. Yeah. Pretty good. That's one shot of the way, so it's half-time question time. Since we're talking about video games, what are some of your standout wrestling video game memories? Okay, so my first video game was WWF Attitude, and I used to have the wrestling book of WWF Attitude. So I learn the moves and, and whatnot. <laughs> you bloody need it. It's yeah, like a 16 button combination just yeah. to do a tombstone. My all time favourite wrestling game though will be the original Smackdown. By far. Incredible. And I used to like the really random cutscenes. And it'd be like, Gangrel is walking through the corridor. Oh, right, okay. Is this part of the storyline or, or whatever? My other favourite bit with Smackdown is and it's only ever happened to me once, and it frustrates me that I can never get that cutscene again. After a match had finished, Gangrel appeared and like attacked them and with the blood and then disappeared again. Wow! And I was like, oh my god, what just happened? But it's never happened ever. I saw it once. I was like, oh man. But yeah, it's my favourite. Awesome. My all time favourite. I was a bit too scared of my PlayStation as a kid. Because the, the, like, the laser in the in the disc drive was dodgy and like, oh, run, I'm, I'm, blo- I'm blowing on it, why isn't it cleaning up? So I didn't really have a Smackdown games, but I had No Mercy. Yes. Which is categorically my favourite wrestling game. Tons of fun with that, the, the storylines and the, they like, what other microphone is they talking so that you can tell that they're talking? Because the faces are static, yeah. obviously, because it just scans the textures and the flat. And yeah, I used to make my own pay-per-views and stuff and yeah. Create a Wrestler was just so much fun and Yeah, Create a Wrestler was fun. In the original SmackDown, like you got so far and you would unlock different wrestlers. One of the first wrestlers that you unlocked was Prince Albert. I think China was another one. Yeah. But they weren't actual wrestlers that you could choose, they were their Create a Wrestler skins. Okay, right. So then you had to go into Create a Wrestler and create like Albert or China mm. or whatever. Yeah, because with No Mercy, all the Big Show stuff was in there, but yeah. they took him out because they sent him off to OVW, yeah. punished him. But yeah, No Mercy had this like Royal Rumble style mode where like every single wrestler would come out. Where if you eliminate or survive a certain number of wrestlers, you get more yeah. secret characters like Shawn Michaels, Ken Shamrock. Oh wow! Andre the Giant was supposed to turn up. He did turn up one point, but I couldn't eliminate him, so I didn't unlock him. Oh no! And he cost like a million dollars from the SmackDown Mall or something, so yeah. I never could quite get him. Oh wow! Oh wow! You might see some more video game stuff from us in the very near future. Who knows? Yes, that would be quite fun. <laughs> Boop, boop, boop. I've got smacked down more music in my head now. Boop, 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 boop. Reverse, file, file, diabolical, diabolical structure. Satanic. Satanic. It is custom built for injury. Custom built for injury. For injury. It's 20 feet high. The most ominous structure ever erected. Ever. The pain that these 10 men are preparing to endure. 
on to Hell in a Cell. October the 8th, 2017, from the Little Caesars Arena in Detroit, Michigan. 16,206 in attendance. And the pre-show match, Chad Gable and Shelton Benjamin defeated the Hype Bros in 10 minutes and 20 seconds. Pretty spirited match. I quite like Shelton as Chad's new partner. He's not similar to Jason Jordan, but they can still go with the style they had. They seem to be meshing quite well early on, really, and... I felt both teams looked pretty decent in that match. The opening video package is all about hell, basically. Ugh. Hell does not judge. Hell doesn't do this or that. Hell doesn't take out the laundry because it's a lazy sod or whatever. I don't yeah. know. Loads of cool clips of old Hell in a Cell matches. Bless them for trying to make the women's title match and the WWE title match of equal billing to the Cell matches. They've got to try, haven't they? I just can't get over the name of this arena either. It's like when the MEN got renamed to the Phones for You Arena. It, it, it's always the MEN. It's just like the Reebok and the Macron. Yeah. It's always, it's always the, the Reebok. Reebok. Yeah. So. Yeah, that's just you got free advertising for life if you get in there first, basically. Yeah. Right, and straight into it, our opening match is my choice to look into in depth. It's the first ever tag team championship match inside Hell in a Cell. The SmackDown tag team champions, The New Day, defending against The Usos. Xavier and Big E are going to be the representatives in this match. They come out and cut a promo to start with. And E says it's all going to get biblical. I thought it was a nice throwback to his old like preacher gimmick. Yeah. Byron calls the two teams in this match super teams. Isn't that what people call... Two singles guys thrown together in a tag team. Yeah. Mm. Mm. Well, I suppose the Usos aren't a super team, but you could maybe kind of say the others have all started as singles. As singles, yeah. But I wouldn't say they were both. Right away, everyone grabs some weapons and there's a big schmoz. It's a great roaring elbow. And then Biggie wheelbarrows him onto one of the Usos with a chain round his fist. Yeah. Nasty. Biggie's spear is dodged and he hits a steal. Then Xavier and Jimmy both do dives before Biggie actually does get the spear. There's already a This Is Awesome chant. Because this is already awesome. What a start. Yeah, fantastic. You know straight away that you're doing something right if the crowd start going, This is awesome. Wood sacrifices a pair of Francescas for the greater good. What a guy. <laughs> oh my god. We then get a cowbell spot. I swear somewhere upstairs Dusty must be smiling. Yeah. I was hoping for the New Day rocks and New Day sucks with the cowbell. No. Oh. But as he started to hit it, he then just carried on hitting it. I was like, oh, you're out of tune. This isn't working. <laughs> we then get a gong attack, which is okay now that The Undertaker's retired. Yeah. <laughs> the Usos do the... Asalanche into the cell wall. That was sick. Yeah. And the way that Big E scraped down the cell. Ouch. Mm. Big E makes his comeback. Face off on the apron leads to him doing a Uranagi on one of the Usos into Xavier Woods' knees for a backbreaker. That's nice. So many good spots in this match. Uh, I learned recently, so you know how the New Day's finishes usually called the Midnight Hour. When it's Biggie and Woods doing it, it's called Up, Up, Down, Down. Oh, because they're gaming? Yeah, because yeah. of their the channel, yeah. That's cool. Yeah. So they hit that move, but the pin got broken up. 
We then get loads of kendo stick shots. They pin Jey Uso into the corner Very of the cell. I like that. With the kendo sticks. That's yeah. so awesome. But did you notice that when Xavier threw... What was it? A trumpet did he have in his hand? He threw... It might have just been... A, he threw something. It might have been another stray And he stick. broke one of the kendo broke, sticks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and luckily it was the one right around yeah. the arms as well. Great somersault escape from Woods, but he eats a super kick. And then a freaking tope doomsday device into the cell wall. Yeah. Holy shit, chance from the crowd. No wonder. That must have hurt. Because it wasn't even on, on like the mesh bit. It was the frame. Yes. That his back hit. It must be nasty to take a bump there. The Usos get handcuffs and they cuff Big E to the bottom rope and cuff Xavier's hands together. They hit successive superfly splashes on Xavier, but he only gets two. They then do the Breaking Point 2009 spot on Xavier, where he's hanging from the ring post, and they just wallop him with kendo stick shots. That looked nasty. Big E frees himself from his cuffs, and uses them to swat away a kendo stick attack. I thought it was quite neat. He drives both of the Usos into the cell wall, and gets the big ending, but that only gets a two count. He then tries to do a stretch muffler on Jay, but it's broken up with a superkick party. They hit the double oofs, which is the simultaneous splashes, but would save the fall. He then fighting spirits out of loads of kendo stick shots. I, gets I the love running. that spot when mm-hmm. he, he's still he's still handcuffed and he's getting the shots and then he goes, nah, fuck this. <laughs> Brilliant. Great spirited attempt at a comeback. That eventually gets cut off. And the Usos do the double oose onto a chair on Xavier to get the free count and to win their championships back after 22 minutes of absolutely phenomenal action. It was a fantastic opening match. A great way to set the pay-per-view off. I was thinking once the match had finished, would I have put it later on in the card? Would it have made more impact because of how good it was? But then I think... It was a good way of getting the pay-per-view off to a, a good start. So. Yeah, well, they had this problem at SummerSlam as well. Like, they had a really, really good match on the pre-show mm. and then nothing in the opening goings of the SummerSlam card lived up to that at all. Yeah. But, oh my God, this is... It's probably the most revolutionary Hell in a Cell match has felt in absolutely years. Yeah. Match of the year material right here. It's probably going to wind up being the tag team match of the year anyway follow that rest of the show they mentioned that on the pre-show Ty Dillinger got added to the United States Championship match so it's now a triple threat and Kayla Braxton interviews AJ Styles he says he wanted to prove a personal point to Corbin so he's disappointed that Ty's in this match but he won't back down we then get our second match of the evening Rusev taking on Randy Orton we get the recap of an RKO out of nowhere ruining Rusev Day how dare you ruin Rusev Day? It's a landmark day in the business, come on. Both men have victories over each other within, like, 15 seconds. Yeah. After Orton squished Rusev at SummerSlam, and Rusev beat Orton in 9 seconds on SmackDown. This started out a bit pacier than I expected, after, you know, the standard beginning. Rusev far away slammed Orton into the barricade, that was yeah. painful. I love his spinning heel kick as well. Yeah. 
They did some nice work revolving around Randy Orton's power slam spot. That was quite good. Then the finish sees a really cool tease of Rusev countering the RKO with the accolade, but Orton squirms out and gets the RKO for a free count in 11 minutes 40 seconds. What did you think of this? It was okay. Randy's got some really good matches in him, and he's one of the wrestlers that you kind of say, I trust in you to make this, this match good. Whereas I didn't think Rusev was was up to scratch of what we've seen from him that he can do, like we've seen his matches against Cena and stuff like that. It was okay. I mean, I always thought Autumn would win, and I always thought it'd be you, RKO out of nowhere sort of thing. Yeah. But, he, but he doesn't get old. It's kind of one of these things as the finish is going to come out of nowhere, you just, you're going to have to wait for it sort mm-hmm. of thing. But it was okay. Yeah, I thought this was fairly solid. Bit better than I expected it to be, actually. There's a couple of nice touches to that match, but still nothing overly exhilarating. No, no. Oh my god, we then get the KFC commercial with Kurt Angle <sighs> dressed up as the Colonel. These need to end soon. The line at the end WWE 2K18 just got a little finger licking gooder. Mm, no. No! No, 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 no. No, please stop. Yeah. Please stop. <laughs> Absolutely. We then get a recap of Ty Dillinger pinning Baron Corbin the week before on SmackDown and him negotiating with Daniel Bryan to get into the match. And they do the yes and ten trade-off. On to our third match, the triple threat match for the United States Championship. The champion AJ Styles defending against Baron Corbin and... The perfect 10, Ty Dillinger. What do you think to Baron Corbin's new music? Quite like it. It's not as in your face as his other one. I do quite like it. I do quite like it. I think it'll be a grower. I just find it really weird that at the point where the tempo changes, he like ducks his head to show us his bald spot. Yeah. What? (laughs) Like, you know, usually when there's like a a key change or something, it's like a dramatic reveal. Like, oh, Seamus is suddenly there blaring in light and stuff. (laughs) <laughs> Barry's just like I'm bored lads. what do you think <laughs> there's a sign in the crowd saying we want TV 14 which kind of fits in with the pretty bloodthirsty nature of this crowd after say like mm. going off the opening match oh yeah lots of where's your briefcase chance for Barry lots of one man in one man out it's a one on one match periods AJ bumps really well for everyone in this match he had a nice little roll-up exchange with Tyler early on. About three quarters of Barry's offence is just punching people. Surprise, surprise. Uh, Although I do have to say, in general, this match is a bit better than I expected to be if it was just Baron and AJ one-on-one. Yeah. But Baron's spells in control of this match just kill this match for me. Yeah. So little substance for him. AJ, like, springs into the ring and gets caught with this massive choke backbreaker from Baron Corbin. Yeah. That's pretty good. And the deep six is always cool as per usual. There's a cool spot where Ty super kicks Baron. Then AJ paylays him into covering Baron Corbin. So he accidentally nearly screwed himself out of the title. Springball 450 from AJ is stellar as always. And then we reach the finish. With AJ hitting the phenomenal forearm and Baron kicking him out of the ring and covering himself for the free count. 
to win his first United States Championship after 19 minutes and 20 seconds. I had no idea the match was that long. No, I didn't. Wow. I didn't think it really needed to be. Like, I could have done without two or three of those barren punches everyone spots. Yeah. But, yeah, it had some good spots overall. And, like I said, definitely better than a one-on-one barren match. Yeah, it was all right. It's a shame that AJ was in that match. Because normally AJ's matches are just on point. I, it lacked a little for me. Next is a video package for the SmackDown Women's title match. It's basically just a my dad will battle your dad match. Yeah. Do you remember all that stuff at school? Oh, my dad will battle your dad. My dad could battle your dad. And Charlotte won a fatal four-way to become a number one contender. Don't know what they're doing with her just having the big boot as a finisher. There's surely better pinfall manoeuvres they could give her. She's got much more in a locker as well, hasn't she? Doesn't make any sense. Like, give her the moonsault as a finisher or something. Yeah. Anyway, so it's SmackDown Women's title time. Natalia defending against Charlotte. And Natalia proper belted it into the ring. Yeah. <laughs> Not messing about at all. Come on. Apparently, Natalia now has the most pay-per-view matches out of all the women in WWE history. Wow. You forget how long Natalia's been there. Like, she's been on the main roster since 2008. Yeah, I I would have never have said Natalia. Basically, the vast majority of this match is Natalia working over Charlotte's leg. I was kind of dreading it when I saw that because 2015 babyface Charlotte where... She gets her body part worked over and then fighting spirits out of it didn't serve her quite as well as it should have. No, no. But, you know, since then, her selling's got way better. She was excellent selling the leg in this match. Yeah. Really gorgeous spinning powerbomb from Natalia. Gets yeah, in here for. I liked it. Liked yeah, it was really good. Yeah, what Charlotte's really good at in this match is sort of picking her spots to sneak in a comeback that yeah. doesn't quite work because of her injury. She winds up in the sharpshooter, but she's somehow able to survive. And she rolls Natalia's neck into the bottom turnbuckle. That could have gone so wrong. It's one of them, isn't it? You can do safe moves that look dangerous, whether that was or not. So we get to the finish. The freaking one-legged moonsault from Charlotte to the outside. Crazy. And then Natalia says she's had enough and attacks the knee with a chair for the disqualification to keep her championship after 12 minutes and 15 seconds. What are your thoughts on this match? Again, it was a decent match. I rate both of them as wrestlers. I just thought it was a really cheap finish. You kind of know that she's going to lose the championship in the next pay-per-view or they're just going to do like no DQ or whatever, you know, that sort of thing. It kind of pinpoints what's next. Other than that, yeah, I, I, it was good. But again, pretty solid stuff. Like I say, that finish was pretty cheap. I thought they had Charlotte hurt her leg a bit too early in this match, so it was kind of lacking in variety for spots sometimes. Mm. Like we, we know they can do better with each other. Yeah. Like their NXT women's title match is a classic. 
their match at the original Roadblock pay-per-view was also really good as well. So, I guess the DQ is, well, this feud must continue, which... Yeah. I I think that there's room to improve upon this. I think they're both fantastic wrestlers. They just need to work out on their promos, like we said before. You know, it's not a case of my dad's better than your dad. Mm. They need to delve deeper into their characters against each other. You know, see how that works. Yeah, this is why... I wasn't buying into them billing this match as like one of the, the draws of this pay-per-view because the build has just been so by numbers for me. Yeah. We'll get to even worse builds later on. Oh my God, it's the return of the Fashion Files next. I couldn't pick out what the opening sequence is supposed to be a parody of because usually it's like, oh, yeah. this is Twin Peaks, oh, this is The X-Files. I don't know if it was some American show that I'd not seen or whether they were just going for general buddy cop show sequence. Yeah, I'm not sure. If anyone thinks they know what it might have been referencing, do get in touch. We'd like to know. (laughs) I laughed at them promising no special appearance by the cast of Entourage. (laughs) Probably because it's not time for Summerfest. No. Because summer's gone. (laughs) The board in the background claims that Randy Orton and Kevin Owens are allergic to sleeves. <laughs> There's always some really good visual gags in these segments. Yeah, the Ascension turn up in disguise and they don't recognise them. Then, honestly, the Ascension. Jeez. <laughs> they give them a tube that says, we want to be your friends, implying that case 2B isn't still open. They insult the Ascension because they don't realise they are the Ascension. And then when they take the disguises off, they're like, oh, wow, Oh, that was really good. <laughs> After they leave, the case gets delivered. And they open it up and there's gold inside. There's a new case. Pulp fashion. These segments are ridiculous. <laughs> I love them. I, just, I can't help. I especially love the Twin Peaks ones. Yeah, the Twin Peaks ones were funny. <laughs> really appreciated. Yeah. It's working for them at the moment, but I just think that character-wise, they need to move forward a little bit Smackdown after this they were in the tag team title number one contenders match mm. and the fans were really really into them so like I think there's definitely the will to see them back in the ring properly from this as well Yeah. but you know they are just a really entertaining pairing yeah I don't know whether I'd, I'd have seen Tyler Breeze as this character like from NXT to this mm. but it, it does it works yeah Something that is far beyond working, though, is our next match for the WWE Championship, Jinder Mahal taking on Shinsuke Nakamura. The video package naturally glosses over the blatant racism of build to this match. Mm. Although Tom Phillips does call Jinder inflammatory. There's points that you need to sort out, isn't there? Like, what angle can you attack this from? Mm. Oh well. Shinsuke came out and they found some shots of people trying to do a shaky hand thing. <laughs> it was great. The opening going, Shinsuke does his arm ringer escape that's always good. Whereas Jinder has just traded in his usual useless arm work that goes nowhere for useless neck work that goes nowhere. Yeah. And I think we had a small this is boring chant. 
It wasn't a great start, was it? Jinder as a wrestler, just nothing. Just because they want an Indian audience. See, I've got nothing wrong with that. My point is that it's so obvious. Oh, look, where are we on a tour to? India, right, okay, Jinder, you're the champion. It was that obvious, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Whereas it would have been much better maybe they did a show in India and had Jinder win the title or he lasted longer and he ended his reign in India or, you know, something like that. It just, it seems so specific as to why Jinder's champion at the moment, but I don't even think that he's championship quality, so... He's a really poor wrestler in general. I think they could have done it in a much more naturalistic way, to be honest. Yeah. Obviously, they have been having a boost of popularity in India, but that was even before they were pushing Jinder. Yeah. So, you know, why rush it this quickly? Mm. You know, there's a way they could have used Jinder to boost their popularity without putting the rocket to his ass. I think. Yeah, I agree. I thought Shinsuke had a bit more spirit to him in this match than usual, but... Shinsuke is kind of liable to, like, coasting and taking it easy at times. Yeah. I suppose with that, it depends on who you're facing. Because mm. if you've got someone who's just high maintenance and just straight at you, straight at you, Nakamura doesn't have a chance to go into chill-out mode. Mm. Yeah. There's a big pop for the Sings getting ejected. You know you've got the wrong person as your champion if their managers are the highlight of the match really yeah it was like it was with Orton like they nearly got killed on table bumps and stuff like oh yeah that's your WWE title match and that's your high spot of it come on despite that Jinder still beat Shinsuke clean with the callous although at least he executed it properly unlike at SummerSlam (laughs) where it was just basically like the deadly hug from behind Uh, so Jinder retained in 12 minutes and 10 seconds in a match that in general, it was better than SummerSlam, but that match was dire, so it's not saying much. I feel sorry on Nakamura because I just think for this huge prospect that came into NXT and it kind of blew WWE waters like completely, they then moved him to SmackDown. There was this whole buzz about him. They had Dolph introduce him to SmackDown and they had all that. And then he thought, right, great, where are we going from here? And I just think that this rivalry's ruined him. It seems to be this really strange thing with Shinsuke going on where his best matches are on television instead of pay-per-view. His final match with Dolph, his match with Cena and his match with Orton, all his best outings on the main roster all on SmackDown, not on the pay-per-view. His best performance on pay-per-view was in the Money in the Bank ladder match. And he was selling an injury for half of that, you know. Well, his best pay-per-view match would would be NXT. It's similar to this show, actually. Like, he started off so hot. That match with Sami Zayn was probably Mm. the match of the year in WWE. Yeah. And it's just been too difficult to live up to that, I think. Yeah. Where does he go from here? Possibly it looks like it might be a few with Orton. That'd be good. Like I said, Orton's a good worker, so you know it would keep Nakamura on his toes a bit more. I would have liked to see Nakamura with the belt. Where do we see Jinder go from here? AJ Styles, possibly. Someone just needs to take the belt off him. I know, but the thing is, there's another show in India coming up in December. Yeah. 
Well, we've had this conversation before, haven't we, about would we rather know what's coming up or would we rather not? With stuff like this, it's kind of, are we now interested in who he's going to be rivals with because we know what's coming up? Mm. Reportedly, he's working through an injury as well. I'm just like, you've got time. Just why not have... Shinsuke win the belt for a little while mm. and have Jinder regain a, like Survivor Series in time for the India tour. Yeah. Why does it have to stay with him? Or do a first in the company and have him win it at a house show in India. Like, that would blow the roof off. Yeah, well, because reportedly he's going to face Kevin Owens in that match. Yeah. So you've got as good of a heel as you're going to get on the SmackDown roster to work with there. Mm. An example of which is, right after this match, Kevin cut a promo and it was really, really good. He was pissed off about how everyone talked about the danger of the cell instead of the fact that he was the dangerous one in this match. He's out to teach Shane a lesson and he grind all of Shane's flesh off if he has to. Sick bastard. Yeah. Our penultimate match of the evening sees the glorious Bobby Roode take on Dolph Ziggler. Glorious! Yeah, Rude seems to be babyface just through virtue of his theme music. And that's been the whole build to this match, really. Dolph Ziggler's like, oh, I'm not just an entrance. Look, I'm going to take the piss out of everyone. Ooh. What are they doing to Dolph? Rumour is his contract's coming up. And he's backing off signing it. No wonder he comes across as such damaged goods. Rumour has it, this is the punishment. It's, you're getting all this shit storyline and you're getting all this I'm coming out and I'm an entrance stuff sign the contract or not so whether he does sign I mean we'll never know unless it comes out from Dolph himself but from the way I see him from the stuff that I'm reading this is down to Dolph not making his mind up as to what he wants Mm. it's damaging him more than it is you know helping him along yeah I'd personally encourage him not to sign and go somewhere else yeah try and add some value to yourself elsewhere I mean like compare Ziggler now to where he was this time last year like the career versus IC title match one of his all time best matches against Miz yeah won the IC title on a real high and now like I find it funny he's like this you're saying he was with Nakamura earlier in the year Mm. he's the guy they go to for NXT call ups so he's trustworthy, but I don't know. I really like Dolph, and that's why it upsets me seeing Dolph like this. Graves ponders if he's going to come out dressed as Mantar. <laughs> but no, he doesn't. There's just an annoying record scratch sound effect, and his music and his Tron just totally turn off. My first note is, this is a bit dull. Yeah. It still feels at times like Rude is wrestling like a heel. I still think that he is a heel. I just think that A, the glorious chant everyone loves. B, when you come up against Dolph, you're just going to have to be a face. And C, I just think that Rude's in that niche that most other wrestlers are in, that it's at a point where you're neither face or heel. Like we've said plenty of times about Orton, he can play a face or a heel, but the fans still love him. CM Punk chants can fuck off again. And Ziggler seems to have taken inspiration from Jinder as he hooks a random arm hold. Maybe it was just me, but it sounded like there was a little Caesars chant in this match. Yeah. 
Yeah. God almighty, you can tell they're not into it if they'd rather chant the sponsor of the venue than for either man in this match. Ziggler couldn't get his leg over on the fame asset, so it just looked like a bulldog. That was kind of rough. And then the finish is they like roll through roll-ups over and over again until Rude gets one with the tights and gets the win in 11 minutes and 35 seconds, only to then get immediately zigzagged after the match. I think Graves put it best by saying, Bobby Roo doesn't look like a winner now. And he doesn't. There was no winner in that match. No, it was bollocks. <laughs> Worst match of the pay-per-view. Yeah. Coincidence that both pay-per-views, the second-to-last match is the worst. Yeah, it's so strange that, like, oh, we get this, like, cool-down spot before the main event. Like, yeah. In the old days, it just used to... Blam, just you know, your yeah. top three build matches, just the, go for it. The, the train would just keep going. Yeah. So then it's time for our main event of the evening, which is Kyle's choice to look at in depth. Kevin Owens taking on Shane McMahon in a false count anywhere Hell in a Cell match. Very, very interesting that you say false count anywhere, Duncan. Yeah, so it's Kevin Owens taking on Shane McMahon in a false count wherever Shane McMahon's going to fall. There we go, that's better. That's better. <laughs> I love this build, to be honest. And they go right back to when Kev was first drafted in the Superstar Shake-Up, mm. calling out the land of opportunity BS. He blames Shane's refereeing for costing him some US title matches and said that Shane would have been better off dead from that helicopter crash. Yeah, I thought that was a little bit too harsh. He must have got the okay to say that, surely. Shane lost it and got suspended for brawling with Kev. It drew out Vince McMahon, who booked them in this Hell in a Cell match, and said he suspended Shane because he didn't finish the job, damn it. Which, in that case, you wouldn't suspend him when you'd say, so here he is to finish the job. Yeah, yeah. The segment with Vince was just awesome in general. That headbutt, oh my word. Yeah, so Kevin gets permission from Vince to beat a McMahon senseless if provoked. And so he headbutts Vince. That noise. Yeah, busts him open. Ugh. The morning after that, I sent you a message and said, have you seen the headbutt? Mm. Oh, my word. The headbutt heard around the world. Yeah. And if you look at the YouTube views for the segment from that show, this is the runaway highest viewed. Even though they're like, oh, Jinder, six billion people in India love him and stuff. It's clear who the draw is on SmackDown. Yeah. It's Kevin Owens. Yeah. You know you're trusted if you're trusted with a McMahon storyline. 100% agree. Red flag, Shane's kids are at ringside again. Uh-uh. This is going to end well. <laughs> I swear to God, every single time he's had a match, he's like, yeah, kids, look, go see your daddy wrestle. And he loses or he gets injured. <laughs> For fuck's sake. Right from the off, Shane baseball slides Kevin and they brawl before they even get inside the cell. <laughs> Tom Phillips talks about Shane's diverse MMA background. He's such a joker, isn't he? He only started learning last year. Yeah, but he's a McMahon. He picks it up quick. Okay, so I started learning Japanese this summer. Does that mean I have a background in Japanese? You're going to be the New Japan commentator next year. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Shane, it's a clothesline off of the barricade. And a funky caparilla kick. Yeah. (laughs) Pretty cool. Owens tries to lock Shane out of the cell, but it backfires. 
but he regains the advantage quick and grinds Shane's face into the cell right in front of his kids. I love the trash talking as well from Owens saying, I should be your role model! <laughs> Owens controls with the senton and the cannonball getting near falls, but the swanton eats knees. Shane hits a back elbow and some really shit jabs. Yeah. But a great looking around the world DDT. Only for the shooting star press to miss. And then Kevin gets a frog splash for a near fall, but the pop-up powerbomb is countered with a triangle choke. Kevin escapes by powerbombing Shane onto the base of the steps outside. The crowd chant, we want table. And Kevin always gets a table. That's how it should be. You need that sort of impro. Give the fans what they want. Yeah. Heal or not. Cannonball through the table. Missed. Gets holy shit chance. And Shane covers on the outside, but he only gets two. He then clatters Kev with the shards of the table and does the coast-to-coast into the trash can. They get the cover and the referee allows a rope break. We've been through this, haven't they? In all the rule, Yeah. What are the rules? Well, like they just had earlier in the match. Kevin's in this triangle choke. Oh, but no rope breaks. It's Hell in a Cell. And then there's a rope break in Hell in a Cell. Graves tries to cover for it, saying, oh, the ref just got caught up in the moment. But still... He's getting fined. Mm-hmm. Shane gets a pop just for looking up. Because you know what's coming next. Which is kind of worrying because he looks so gassed already. Yeah. Yeah, you need to wrap this up, guys. You can tell that he's gassed because it takes him so long at the door. Yeah, so he gets the bolt cutters and he goes to the wrong bit of the lock, I think, because he's so loopy from wrestling. Because it, it, it showed him struggling. Yeah. And I'm thinking, this is awkward. He's like... Argh! He was going for the padlock instead of the actual chain. I think yeah. the, the chain would have been more malleable. A low blow allows Kevin to DDT Shane on the ramp. And he then suplexes his crotch into the door. Mm. He gets a small no more kids chant. He headbutts Shane onto the Spanish announce table and climbs up the cell. But he can't follow through with the frog splash. He's just too conflicted. A nice story driven moment. Like I like how... The wrestlers tell a story. Mm. It's good. That allows Shane to climb up and Kevin tries to knock him off as he's climbing. When Kevin was teasing doing the frog splash, some kid yelled out, that's some crazy shit right there! <laughs> Both men wind up fighting on top of the cell and getting a few spots in there. That was quite nice. The chainmail, I don't know whether you noticed, it was full all the way across. Mm. So wherever they bounced, the rest of it lifted. So you only had a hole in where they were wrestling. Well, it didn't. And then when they moved, it popped back up, which was quite nice instead of the, the old single that they used to have. Probably one of the tensest parts of the match, really. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God. Because they focused on one bit of the grid, really. Like, don't push your luck, lads. Mm. But yeah, they had a fair few manoeuvres around that. And the fucking pop-up powerbomb on top of a cell as well. Can you imagine if they misjudged that onto the frame? Oh, yeah. It'd have broke his back. Uh, my immediate thought is, why doesn't the ref fucking climb up there? It's false count anywhere. <laughs> ah, no. Referees don't have to, because in WWE games, whenever you pin anyone on the top of the hell in the cell, the ref's always in the ring and he goes, A one! <laughs> It's ridiculous. So if they can do it in the games, they do it in this. (laughs) Do you know who the only man to win a Hell in a Cell match on the top of a Hell in a Cell is, Kyle? Triple H. Triple H! 
I just want to say that Triple H was that good that he used his initiative and pinned somebody up on the roof. Because <laughs> <laughs> he's that damn good. He's that damn good. <laughs> so they wind up trying to climb back down. Shane's in pursuit of Kevin and some kid again says, Kick him in the face, Shane! <laughs> he's able to knock Kevin from off a cell through the announce table from halfway up. The EMTs come out and Shane shoes them away. That's when I knew the finish was coming. As yeah. soon as Owens went into the table, mm-hmm. I thought, right, here we go. And not just that, but Shane refused to pin him and looks up again to a big pop, sets him up on the English announce table, again with the headbutt, mm. great callback. But the elbow from the top of the cell missed because Sami Zayn pulled Kev out of the way. Wow. What the hell? What is going on? EMTs try to attend to Shane, but Sammy tells him to fuck off and puts Kev on top of him and the cover gets free. So Kevin Owens wins after 39 minutes. I actually really, really enjoyed that match. Mm-hmm. And I know that I was giving Enzo some stick for him not wrestling, but I just, I just think Shane gives the effort and he gives his all and he's 100% in that match. The Sammy spot, though, I didn't spot Sammy, but I but, spotted a guy. Yep. And when it showed the camera from where Shane was about to jump, I was thinking, why is there a guy crouched down with his hood up near Kevin? And then he goes to grab Kevin. I was like, holy hell, who's that? And then you can see that it's Sammy. Mm-hmm. I mean, it didn't ruin the surprise for me. I was just, when the camera shut down, I was like, what's that, that guy doing? Yeah, I spotted that on my second watch. But yeah. Holy crap, we're back together. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah, friendship is magic, you know. Yeah. I just think this match was too long. It was really, really good fun. It was a good match, but again, like similar to the Shane Taker cell match. Yeah. Things took a bit too long at times. Mm. But unlike the Shane Taker cell match, this was filled with cracking spots. Yes, I agree. Really, really good effort in general. But again, you, you do have a much younger wrestler in Kevin Owens. Yeah. So maybe you can get more spots out of it. Definitely my my match of the pay-per-view. Rumour has it to defend the McMahon honour. <laughs> I I'm wonder not, who... I'm not just saying this for saying's sake. I have read it in a few, in I've a few places. I've read this too, yeah, yeah. We might see the return of Triple H. Yeah, teasing a, a Triple H and Kevin Owens WrestleMania. Which would be quite sweet. I would be definitely interested in that. I'd be interested, yeah. I just... I hope they shorten it. Because Triple H's comeback matches at WrestleMania, like, they've just been too long. Yeah. yeah. Like, I have a lot more time for Triple H facing Rollins than a lot of people seem to. But, again, like... No, I, I, didn't, I know what you mean. If they do it, it needs to be focused. Yeah. I agree. So, thoughts on Hell in a Cell overall? I definitely liked Hell in a Cell much more than I did No Mercy. Oh, right, okay. The tag match to start Hell in a Cell was incredible, and you would have put that anywhere on the pay-per-view. You would even have that as a main event. Yeah. It was that good. I don't think that the energy went down. The match rating might have done, but I think the energy was still there across Hell in a Cell, whereas at No Mercy, there was a lot of dips down, and then you got your sudden stop with... Enzo and Neville. Okay. And then it didn't get going with Brock and Braun. Whereas Hell in the South, 
I just thought it was thoroughly enjoyable all the way through. And I give it a four out of five. Okay. I thought it was a two match show. Right. The two Hell in a Cell matches were the obvious high points. Yeah. I thought the US title match was probably like the most solid match on the undercard. So that's the problem with the undercard. Everything was solid. And then the two matches before the main event were just really, really dull. Probably my environment for watching this coloured my opinion on it because I was staying up to watch it. Yeah. I fell asleep during Shinsuke's match and I woke up for the finish. And then I fell asleep for the Bobby Roode match <laughs> and woke up for the finish. I'm like, all right, fuck this. I'm not you know, waking up and spoiling something from the cell match, so we'll yeah. watch that in the morning. I preferred No Mercy in general. It did end on a bum note, like you say, but everything on the undercard was really enjoyable overall. And I think with Hell in a Cell, yeah, the draws in the Hell in a Cell matches really delivered, but everything other than that just kind of dipped a little bit too low for me. Okay, I can see that. Yeah, I think this is the first time we've... We've disagreed with each other. (laughs) Yeah, to this extent, yeah. Yeah, that's good. It shows that we each have our own views, Mm. so that's good. So, yeah, that'll wrap us up for this episode. You can follow us on Twitter at TNW Podcast. We're also on Facebook. And we need to make that more active, don't we, the Facebook? Yeah, we need to do some more stuff with that, really. Give us a like on Facebook. Let's try and build something up there. Our Twitter is very, very active. Thank you for all the 900 followers who are following us. I'd love to get it to 1,000 before the year. That might be a bit ambitious. No, that would be good. Yeah. I think we can do that. Come on, guys. Retweet us out there. Yeah, get let's do there. it. You can subscribe slash followers on Apple Podcasts. SoundCloud and Stitcher Radio. You'll also find on our SoundCloud page a playlist of all of our episodes so far and my guest appearances on the Roar's Nitro podcast. Got another couple of them in last week. Really, really good stuff. Hopefully you're not too mean on me this time. <laughs> you nearly forgot to me. And then <laughs> we nearly went the whole show. I was like, oh shit, I'm not... <laughs> I'm not taking the piss out of Carl and Triple H. <laughs> I don't know what that voice is, sorry Lee. <laughs> I thought that was really good. That was perfect. Hi Lee. <laughs> I'll be listening then. Also, go check out our blog editions of the show. I'm really trying to catch up with We're those. Really <laughs> We're like a year out of date. I recently did one on our WCW Mayhem episode and before that a little complimentary article on the WCW World Title Tournament before that show. Yeah. Give that a read. Ayatollahrockandroller.blogspot.com I really enjoy the blogs. I enjoyed reading the blogs before we was doing these podcasts from your DVDs and, and stuff like that when you'd go back and blog, you know, all the DVDs and stuff. Next time! I don't know, I suppose we could do a progress show maybe. Progress would be cool. Yeah. Maybe we could get a, our first ever three-man TMW and get some looks and he'd be there. I very much love that, yeah. Yeah, yeah. that'd be cool. Yeah, so we'll be there on the 12th of November. If you're there yourselves, give us a shout and we'll try and say hello as well. Yeah. So, it's a goodbye from Kyle. Yeah, goodbye guys, thanks for listening. That's goodbye from me. Cheers everyone. 